Hello and welcome to the Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Kenny and I play the captain, Nathan Quinn. So we finally reached our end. This will be the last Ready Room for Season 9. Everyone has done a, a wonderful job. And actually this is going to be a fairly short podcast. I think we only have like 5 or 6 post readings. So it should go fairly quick. But this will wrap up uh, all of Season 9. And then we will be taking a 2-3 to three week break. And we will be starting Season 10. But between those times... Jen, Rick, and I will be having a Skype call, kind of a, a wrap-up of Season 9. So if you're a writer, or even you know, if, even if you're just a listener, and you want to participate in the Skype call, just keep an eye on the threads on the forums. Uh, we'll be announcing the time and day of when we will do this Skype call. And so the next Ready Room will be that Skype call, that recorded Skype call, where we'll talk about the past season, Season 9, and what we expect for Season 10. So why don't we get started with this week's The Ready Room. Accessing library computer data. Initiating the story so far. Enter when ready. Theron strode to his cell with a smile on his face. Accompanying him were three guards in front, one on either side and three more behind him. All had weapons donned and were all looking quite nervous. Nice day for a stroll, I boys. Not one of the guards spoke as they continued to walk down the corridor. The head officer stopped at a small control panel and pressed his thumb against the screen. A green beam of light swept over the digit and activated the door. The weapons pointing at Theron, the head guard shouted, Into the cell, on the opposite side of the room. Theron entered. Now, stand against the wall. Put your hands on your head and turn around. Theron did as he was told, never allowing the smile to fall from his face. A sudden whoosh was heard as the force field went up and the lights in both cells came on. The figure in the cell opposite of him watched intently. Theron narrowed his eyes and smiled as the man walked towards his force field. "'Hello, David. Fancy meeting you here, mate,' said Theron as he examined the field holding that held him in his cell. "'Well, the more the merrier, I say.' The Aussie winked as his grin grew wider. Let's say you and I blow this joint and grab an ale at the station. The security officers that brought Theron into the room remained in the brig just to make sure that the dangerous agents did not escape. They silently monitored the conversation. They had to be prepared for anything. Agent Locke tried to smile. Theron always had a great sense of humor, but he was sure his partner wouldn't laugh when he learned that David facilitated his capture. You don't want to have anything to drink with me. I'm a traitor. I turned on you. Locke and DeCallan ignored the guards as they stared at each other in silence. Joseph sat up in bed and looked around the silent room. The security guards smiled at him and he smiled back. They respected their boss and no way were they going to try and look menacing in front of him. Joseph thought about his situation and hoped that the captain would believe his story. He just wished he could remember more. Moving to the one side, he looked at the blank monitor. He was locked out. He knew nothing of what was happening. Suddenly, the screen flickered on. The computer spoke gently. Incoming message. Security cleared by Captain Quinn. Joseph watched as the words flashed up. He slowly read each word and absorbed each letter. Twenty seconds later, the short but powerful message from his brother had been digested 
and Joseph tapped the monitor off, laid back, and closed his eyes as the tears forced their way through his eyelids. Galdas stepped through the door of his quarters and walked to one of the chairs near the centre of the room. Dropping into it, he released the fastenings on the neck of his tunic and ran his finger round the collar to loosen the stiff material. He had never been able to afford a tailored uniform, but had renewed his vow to give it a try every time he had to break in a newly replicated garment. The flight in the Zephyr had been a wild ride, and the pilot part of him had enjoyed every minute, but the stresses and responsibility had also been beyond anything he'd experienced before. When that was added to the impact of his earlier pheromone poisoning, there could only be one result. Ensign Galda was tired. He closed his eyes, and his head dropped backward to the cushion behind him. Someone stirred in the adjoining room. Lester peered out from his suite to see his new Ferengi roommate making himself at home. He knew this moment would come, and luckily he had had time to get his head around the idea, so emotional control was not an issue for him this time. He approached the relaxed Galda in the communal area. Ensign? Lester's standard stoic greeting had an interrogative hint that Galda could not help but notice. Galda jumped, and his eyes snapped open at the unexpected intrusion. Uh, Galdar! Shuttle pilot! We met on the flight deck a little while ago. Taking a deep breath, he calmed himself. It appears we are to share quarters. Lester nodded, but said nothing. Galda tried again. Uh, thanks for assisting me to sick bay earlier. I hope you didn't have any problems being out of quarters during an on-duty shift under lockdown. Not at all, Ensign Galda. I trust you have recovered from your injuries, he inquired. Yes, thanks, Galda responded. The medical staff were most efficient. Though I hope I won't find myself in the situation of needing their services too often. Galdar grinned in an amiable fashion, hoping to provoke a similar reaction from his new roommate. He was disappointed. I've just transferred aboard, he said, sorting to the obvious for the lack of anything else to say. I am aware of your situation, Edson Galdar. I took the liberty of reviewing your service record while I have been confined to quarters. I was interested to note your approach to the Kobayashi Maru scenario at the academy. Galdar grimaced this time, bearing his teeth in a manner that looked more menacing than contrite. Not one of my most decisive moments, he conceded, but apparently it wasn't one of the commonest reactions either. Again he looked to his companion for a reaction. Again he was disappointed. Garrus began to pace the communal area as if he was assessing the space they shared. I must stress that I am unaccustomed to sharing living quarters, Ensign. As am I, Ensign. Garrus. Galda finally remembered. As am I. He stopped, struck for the best way of broaching his concerns with sharing quarters with this seemingly unresponsive human. He stood as he thought, finally turning to look at the taller officer in the eye. I apologize if this is too direct or personal a question, but it's something about which I am particularly concerned given our shared accommodation, he blurted out. He looked around. It appears that these quarters are maintained in a very tidy fashion. Lester turned to face the Ferengi this time. At last it seemed that Galda had managed to get his attention. My personal possessions, as well as my living quarters, are kept in an ordered and logical manner, Ensign. It is a practice I must insist is continued, he said. Galdar grinned, truly relaxing for the first time since Lester had appeared. Great, 
he exclaimed. I can see we're going to get along just fine, Mr. Garrus. A wide yawn cut off whatever else he was about to say. Now, now if you'll excuse me, I really, really need to sleep. So saying, he moved towards his sleeping quarters, arms raised to slap Lester on the shoulder in what he thought as a friendly human gesture on the way past. In the light of his roommate's unsmiling face, however, he thought again and dropped his arm, simply nodding politely to Garris as he passed. As the door to Galdar's room closed behind him, Lester heard the Ferengi muttering to himself as he crossed to the bed. I like this ship. It's exciting. A force field snapped into place in front of holding cell 5 in the brig of Starbase 416 as soon as Lieutenant Nicholas Andrews completed his materialization. Transferred from the stalwart after being cleared of any more than a passing involvement with Section 31, he had been returned to his post to face a court-martial for his actions on and against the Starbase. He stared impassively through the field as the guards to either side of the cell lowered their weapons and returned to their duty stations by the entrance. As a joint Starfleet and civilian facility, the security presence at a Starbase brig was a little more obvious than might have been the case on a starship. Across the room he could see his two erstwhile colleagues, presumably transferred from the Arabella after their rescue from the shuttle bay. Bahaz waved at him and smiled weakly when he realized he'd been spotted. Turning to the bench at the rear of the cell, he sat somewhat gingerly. The medical bay on the stalwart had treated his injuries quite effectively, but there were going to be tender spots for a good number of weeks, he'd been told. That character on the shuttle had really worked a number on him. He leaned back against the wall and stared at the ceiling as his mind turned to what was left of his family on Earth and what they'd think when the news of his disgrace reached them. He shook his head. He'd known the risk when he'd accepted the latinum, so there was no point getting all misty-eyed about it now. He'd done what he'd done, and he'd been caught. Now that the penal colony beckoned, he wasn't going to pretend to be an innocent victim here when all the evidence was against him. It was time to simply stand up and take it on the chin like an officer should. An officer, he thought with a wry smile. He'd joined Starfleet in the ranks, but had been encouraged to sit the academy tests from the moment he arrived. Someone had thought he could be an officer. Even when he passed, he hadn't been wholly sure about going into the academy and had nearly declined the offered place. He would have been happy working with his hands in the ranks, but the prospect of flight school, once it was dangled in front of him, had finally persuaded him to go and work towards some pips. Without those academy-taught skills, he probably wouldn't have been flying shuttles. If he hadn't been flying shuttles, he wouldn't have been approached by... He stopped, shaking his head again. That way lay madness. Lying down, he closed his eyes. He figured he was going to have plenty of time to second-guess his actions of the last few weeks. I could not risk them destroying Seville's life, David admitted. <laughs> Tried it in. Well, at least he was for a better-looking model, replied Theron. David smiled and the tension diminished. I never imagined that it would end up like this, Theron. His partner shook his head with a sigh and looked down at his hands. Same here, mate. I was this close to giving my father and ending the pain my brother and I have suffered. Instead, we've been dealt marked cards, my friend, from every player in the room. I'm going to lose my hand, but you're going to lose a lot more. David bowed creased as he thought of Eric James. Yeah, but I know she'll be safe. Stephen stepped forward. Mate, a shark in a uniform with polished boots is no different than a shark kept in a tank. He can splash you about, showing his teeth, but everyone knows it's an ugly son of a bitch inside and out. David turned and faced his friend. Did you just make that up? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a tad philosophical. David offered him a cuffed hand as they stood on the transporter pad waiting to be moved to the frigate. I'm sorry, Theron. Theron accepted the offer with his own bound hands and shook. Family's I mate. <laughs> you can't live without him, and you can't live without him. I only hope that Joseph gets that message I'll send from the shuttle. You'll have your forgiveness, David. I just hope I'll get mine. As they smiled at one another, the glow of a transporter beam engulfed them, and they found themselves in a darker, colder room. They were still shaking hands as their bodies materialised. Theron turned his head slightly and suddenly grabbed David's arm and pulled his friend behind him just as a blast from a Veyronti disruptor hit him in the chest. Theron's dreadful screams were at last consumed with his body. David Locke swallowed hard. Survival was a Ferengi pipe dream, but he wasn't about to buy his premature end like a gullible packlet. Seville's husband had no time to bemoan the murder of his friend, for the next shot greedily sought him. Agent Locke managed to dodge the beam as it lanced out and rapidly dissolved the panel behind him in hungry, red waves. Four brisk steps later, David was upon the assassin, slamming his former minder to the deck and causing him to drop the sadistic weapon. The two men struggled on the floor, trading blows with fists and foreheads. Grunts and moans accompanied the echo of landed punches. One man fought for his life, the other for Section 31. Both knew David would fail. The question was, when? Another shot was fired and David's cries filled the empty cargo bay. Despite the agony, his last thoughts were of his family. Ironically, the Federation had achieved the justice it sought at the hands of another Section 31 operative. Gaia stepped over his rapidly dissolving former partner as he strode from the room to the cockpit of his vessel. Goldar sat and looked through the window of the afterburner, studying the patterns of stars twinkling in the darkness. Now that the repairs were complete and the Arabella was undocked from the station, the external view was much more improved. He looked briefly down at the starduster in front of him before his eyes settled on the face of his new friend. Thanks again for the drink, Doctor, he said with a smile. I can see the benefits of starship service were heavily understated at the Academy. Welcome aboard, Ensign. She said with a smile as she raised her glass to him. Her smile broadened as she saw Catan walk through the doors of the afterburner. Ryla had come a long way since the first lost her symbiont, but the past week had proven to her that she was capable of moving on. For a change, she actually looked forward to her new life, just as her new friend did. Gul'dar raised his glass in mock salute to the stars and took a pull of the contents. The trill took a sip. I hate to break it to you, Ensign, she said with a smile, but not every aspect of a Starfleet career is fully defined by what one, one picks up at the Academy. Gul'dar recalled in Makara, but his smile did not waver. <laughs> so I am starting to learn, he agreed. In the corner of his vision, something moved across space, a ripple or distortion of some sort, spreading from a point source off the nose of the ship. He turned to look, but was too late. Whatever had been there had now gone, but in its place was a ship. A ship that was largely unlike anything he'd ever seen before. He looked back at the doctor and pointed at the window. You wouldn't happen to know what that ship is, would you, doctor? He asked. Or maybe I should be addressing the question to Captain Quinn and Lieutenant Commander James. Edward James stood on the bridge of the Arabella and watched Una's uncloaked vessel make the jump to warp. It was perhaps the last time he would see her but she left with three new passengers that would learn to call the ship home. 
the mirror duplicate of Seville and her newly born children will be happy in their new lives. Eric knew it for a fact because he was also once happy on Una's home world. Sir, the operations officer said with a hint of awe and concern in his voice, a vortex is opening along our starboard bow. On screen, Eric said as he moved to the auxiliary operations station. His hands moved over the controls and directed sensors towards a slowly opening hole in space. While similar to a wormhole, the now four metre wide aperture bore temporal and quantum distortions. It also contained a transponder that he could never forget. We're being hailed, the ensign said. On screen, Eric replied with a smiley face, but with a heart carrying a storm of relief and worry. The image of the vortex was quickly replaced by an image of Seville, with longer hair sitting in the command chair. In the front of her, and only slighting frame, were Aria and an older-looking Naval, in the comm and operations positions of the ship. Aurora to the Arabella, she said in a smooth altar. We are home. Permission to dock at Shuttle Bay 3. The end. So that's going to do it for Season 9. What a fantastic season, and we'll discuss more about Season 9 with our fellow writers and listeners on our next Skype call. Okay, before I leave, I want to thank all of our writers of Season 9. It's been a fantastic season, and I just want to acknowledge everybody. So I would like to thank Hawkeye Meds, JustX, Dinghead, Casey, Feathers, Jen, Dangelis, Shepard, Star Trek Phonetic 5, Max Fazoo, Wraith1701, Iceman, In Stitches, Rico, Moyer777, and Brian CD. It's been a great group of writers, it's been a great story, and I just want to thank all of you because the RPG wouldn't be the RPG without our fabulous writers. So thank you guys. I would also like to thank all of our readers for Season 9. There's been quite a few, and they've helped us out uh, quite a bit. So thank you, guys. And they are as follows. Moyer777, Hawkeye Meds, Dangelis, Billy Bob, Casey, Rico, Jen, Star Trek Fanatic 5, Shepard, Dinghead, and Cosmonaut. Thank you for our readers. Uh, obviously, the Ready Room wouldn't be the Ready Room without our readers, and uh, you guys have been fantastic. So I think that's going to do it for this week's The Ready Room. This will be the final Season 9 Ready Room. Uh, when we come back, we'll have a Skype call, and then we will begin Season 10 The Ready Room. So uh, thanks, everybody, and this is Kenny. Hailing frequencies closed. The Ready Room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. All other music was obtained through the Podsafe Music Network. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com. Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't you turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. 
Zaboo! <laughs> Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for that at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out www.takehimwithyou.com the weekly podcast that's spiritual not religious I'd love to have you listen thanks how cool is this podcast that means that you excellent people who are listening to this cool podcast are even more cooler how cool is that so once you finish listening to this podcast, why don't you come over to our podcast and give us a go? We're called Waffle On. You can find us on iTunes. Simply type in Waffle On or go to our webpage and you'll find us at http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. We do TV. We talk about classic TV from 1960 to 1990. You'll find everything here from sci-fi to comedy, from drama to thriller. Come and check us out. We're called Waffle On. <laughs> no, I don't think he likes you at all. <laughs> no, I don't like you either. <laughs> I love that. That is so great. That's good writing. Yes, because it's not much dialogue. And because <clears throat> George Lucas didn't write all the <coughs> dialogue. <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. 